Archives podcast series, an introduction to the first tranche of colonial administration records released at the National Archives, presented by Dr. Edward Hampshire. I'm going to be talking today about the Migrated Archives, records of colonial administration released today at the National Archives. I'm Dr Edward Hampshire, I'm a Principal Record Specialist at National Archives and run a team that manages the public side of our relationship with the public, with academia, specifically relating to uh, diplomatic and colonial records. Right, now I'll start by just um, describing what the Migrated Archives are. They are records of colonial administration, physically transferred, and this is where the euphemistic term, I suppose, migrated comes from, migrated from the relevant colony to the United Kingdom prior to independence. They have been transferred to us from the Foreign Commonwealth Office in six tranches, or at least six tranches, uh, between now and November 2013. These uh, records were acknowledged by the FCO following a court case at at the High Courts by a number of Kenyans looking for, say, apology or compensation from the British government over their alleged treatment during the Mau Mau uprising. The records that are being transferred not only relate to Kenya, they also relate to a whole range of other colonies. And the migration, the removal of these records from the colonial administration at the time into later on the United Kingdom happened over a period of time from the late 50s through to the late 1970s. To give an idea of the sort of material that in theory was transferred, there are a number of criteria for selection to be migrated out of the whole range of material that would have been on the ground in the colonial administration. Now this would be material that might embarrass Her Majesty's government or other governments, might embarrass members of the police, military forces, public servants or others including, for example, police informers, also might compromise source of intelligence or might be used unethically by ministers in the successor government. To give a bit of context to what we've already got at the National Archives, we have the records of the Colonial Office, its predecessors and successors in London. So we'd have the correspondence from, let's say, the governor in a particular colony, let's say Jamaica, into London. So we'd have a copy of that correspondence into London, the discussions within London, and the drafts of the correspondence were then sent back out to the governor in Jamaica. So we've got the London end of the operation, as it were. This material that's being transferred today, or the first tranche, of which is being transferred today, is the local end of the operation. So it's very different from what we already have. We've only got a very, very small amount of local material before this material has been transferred. So that's the difference between what we've already got and what is coming through. Given the nature of it and the fact that you've got two sides of the same coin with much of this material, not all of it, but much of it, there is the potential for some duplication, but I'll, I'll come to that later. Specifically, what is being released on the 18th of April? This is the first tranche, as I said before, of around about six, possibly seven, to be open between now and November 2013. We have two types of records being released from different colonies. We have a, the alphabetical listing. Now, that broadly, with most of the colonies, the records are coming through alphabetically, A to Z. So today what's being released is primarily A to B. So we have Aden, Anguilla. Aden is now part of Yemen. Anguilla is still a British dependency. Bahamas, Basuto land, which is now Lesotho. Bekuan land, which is now Botswana, British Indian Ocean Territory, um, which includes Diego Garcia, Seychelles and Brunei. The Seychelles is within there because that material has been wrapped up with the British Indian Ocean Territory material. In addition to the alphabetical material, we also have prioritised material, material that the Foreign Commonwealth Office and National Archives knew would be of particular interest to researchers. So we have the first of a number of tranches relating to Cyprus, a number of tranches relating to Kenya, Malaya, 
Sarawak, North Borneo and Brunei. Now, Malaya, Sarawak and North Borneo were incorporated in 1963 into Malaysia. And in the case of Malaya, you have a colony that was involved in the Malayan emergency, dealing with a communist insurgency, primarily by Chinese ethnic guerrillas between 1948 and 1960. With Sarawak, North Borneo and Brunei, you have a dealing with the Indonesian confrontation, which was, a, I suppose, a non-declared low-level guerrilla war between Indonesian or Indonesian-backed forces and British Commonwealth forces in support of, from 1963 anyway, Malaysian armed forces. In Cyprus, you have various disturbances, bombings and so on and so forth by the Greek Cypriot uh, population from the early mid-50s through to independence in 1960. And in Kenya, you have the Mau Mau uprising in the mid-1950s. So these ones have been prioritised because there are areas of uh, particular interest and I suppose to some extent controversy. The totality of what's being transferred is around about 16% of the total migrated archives. So around about 35 metres worth from a total of around about 200 metres. To put that into context, we generally receive from every single government department every year around about seven to 800 metres. So in terms of us taking the material in, this is an extra, say, 25% over and above what we'd normally bring in. From the point of view of the Foreign and Commonwealth Office, is even more. Foreign and Commonwealth Office are one of our highest quantities of transferers, I suppose. But they would transfer, say, something like 100 metres, 150 metres a year. This 200 metres over a couple of years is a huge increase over and above what they're used to doing with us. That's why these records are coming over in tranches rather than all in one go. Now, what is in the records? The criteria for the migration, which I set out at the start, those four criteria, embarrassment to the government, embarrassment to officials, in intelligence sources and so on, were interpreted very liberally, it seems. When you actually start looking at the records in detail, the interpretation is quite liberal. The content is extremely varied. We move from intelligence reports, personality files, policy files, the sort of things you'd expect that might be regarded as containing material of embarrassment or that might compromise intelligence sources. However, you also have an awful lot of routine administrative records, personal files, petty cash registers. Just a few random examples of that. With the British Indian Ocean Territory files, we have at least eight, ten files relating to stamps, British Indian Ocean Territory stamps, which is a source of revenue for a colony with no or almost no inhabitants. You have personal files for stenographers and for typists, very small number of them, but they are there. So there's a lot of material there that you wouldn't think automatically would fit into those criteria I set out earlier. Another thing to be aware of is the amounts kept vary dramatically. There are only a very small handful of files for Aden. Now, Aden was a, a colony and, and protectorates. British left in 1967, essentially almost under fire. There, there were Nasserist rebels and um, communist-backed rebels. There were problems in the interior. There were problems in Aden City and Crater City. This was a very, very difficult situation the British were in. The British essentially evacuated themselves out in 67. You would expect from that a controversial evacuation, a controversial colonial relationship, particularly at the end. There to be a lot of files, but in fact, they're a very small number indeed. And those that do survive are very routine and administrative, but I, I, can, I can move on to that later. However, there are significant numbers for other colonies. Kenya, there's quite a lot. That's coming in tranches. Cyprus, coming in tranches. Anguilla, a very small British colony, population around about 20,000, 30,000. The interesting aspect of Anguilla is that all the records relate to 1967 to 71. In 1967 was the Anguillan Revolution. The British authorities planned to combine Anguilla with St Kitts and Nevis. 
and then moved St Kitts and Nevis towards independence. The Anguillans were not happy with being subsumed into a wider St Kitts Nevis colony and later country. As a result, there was the Anguillan Revolution, another mini-revolution in 1969. It was finally resolved by the British in 1971 by imposing direct rule, which is ironically what the Anguillans wanted. They wanted to be detached from St Kitts and Nevis, and they achieved what they wanted, and today Anguilla is a British-dependent territory still. But these records come from this period of the revolution, from the revolution up to the point of the imposition of direct rule from London. And also Sarawak and North Borneo, which I mentioned before, the records um, dealing with the Indonesian confrontation on the island of Borneo, a lot of them have survived, but I'll, I'll move on to that later. A few other things to be aware of as well. There are aspects to be aware of in terms of how the Foreign and Commonwealth Office, in fact how all government departments, look at records, see whether they're worth keeping and what can be made available. With most transfers, you'd have two processes in place. You'd have what's called appraisal, the um, decision-making process as to what's worth keeping or not. Now, that would remove many duplicates, for example, and it might move material of only low-level administrative importance. The next stage is sensitivity checking, checking to see, of that material that you've already decided is worth keeping, what might have to be kept closed for a certain period of time for sensitivity reasons, for Data Protection Act reasons, uh, intelligence reasons, so on and so forth. Now, what's happened with these records? Because the Foreign Secretary has said that all records of consequence must be transferred, and the decision was made by the Foreign Commonwealth Office and National Archives essentially to transfer everything within the migrated archives, there has not been appraisal. And as a result, you will find in this material an awful lot of the sort of material that would probably have been taken out in the normal course of events. So um, those of you who are used to looking at records here, you don't often find that many duplicates. You don't often find that many records of very, very low-level administrative uh, material. But here you do. And you get two types of duplication. You have what you could call internal duplication. So the best example here is the Malaya records. We've got a lot of Malaya records, around about eight metres worth coming through. But nearly half of that are three duplicated sets of uh, reports by the Secretary of Chinese Affairs, essentially intelligence reports on the Chinese community in Malaya and on Chinese politics in China itself. But there are three sets of them. They stretch from 1930 to the mid-1950s. The pre-Second World War set are probably duplicated, but I do have to check this, with material we already have. So around about three and a half metres of that material, or a large portion of it, would probably not have ended up coming here because it duplicates material we've already got, and even if it doesn't, we'd only keep one set rather than three. So that gives an example, I suppose, of internal duplication, which you will see here. There's also external duplication. And I mentioned this before about the two sides of the coin, the London side of the operation, the local side of the operation. Well, obviously, they're passing each other correspondence, and so you'd have a copy at one end and the original at the other. There is probably an awful lot of this. We haven't had the time and the resources to go through all of the files in detail to confirm whether that's the case or not. But it probably is the case with quite a bit of this material that you will find within the migrated archives actually duplicates material already here and already in the public domain for 10, 20 odd, maybe 30 odd years. That's quite a bit of it. So to give a bit of an overview of, of what has come through, I suppose if you, you take the metaphor of, of gold and what researchers do is they, they, they search for little bits of gold. They, they collect up the gold dust within the files. They find the nuggets within the files as well. And from that, they build new interpretations and new understandings of history. Only incredibly rarely does a historian find, I suppose, bullion that particular document in itself, by itself, that completely changes your understanding of history of a particular country or colony and so on. 
I would say within this tranche at least, and I can't really talk about any further tranches, there probably isn't any bullion. We might have missed a bit, but it probably isn't. There's probably quite a bit of dust and some nuggets. And that's one thing to be aware of looking through at least this tranche. Another thing to be aware of is the material that's being used for the Kenya court case has not come through in this tranche. And that is presumably still being used for the court case, and we will have to wait for later tranches, I assume, to see these. So that's a little bit of the context there as to what's come through and how it's come through. Now, just briefly, I'll run through the prioritised colonies, um, Kenya, Cyprus, Malaya, Sarawak, North Borneo, just to give you an idea of scale. With Cyprus, and this is one tranche of many, we have around about two and a half metres worth of records. When I talk about metres in length, I'm not talking about, let's say, sheets of paper end to end. I'm talking about files stacked up in boxes and put on shelves. So the best way to envisage this is 2.3 metres worth of shelving, basically, of records stacked vertically. A bit like books on a bookcase. Now, we're talking about a total of 200 over all the migrated archives, about 35 metres of what's come over in this tranche. About 2.3 metres of Cyprus. Many more tranches to come. We've only got early Cyprus material in this tranche up until 1939. With Kenya, we have around about 5 metres worth, but we have, from what will be further tranches as well, just various portions dotted around. So we don't have, let's say, just the early material of Kenya. We have bits and pieces from different aspects. And this probably is a good point to sort of point out another aspect of the records that have been transferred. Normally, with almost all records that we bring in, they have been organised and arranged in a logical manner to help researchers. They'll be arranged chronologically, for, perhaps. They might well within that be arranged within their original registry system. So records of the same subject matter will be next door to each other. So you might have a run of records, let's say six files relating to Jomo Kenyatta, and that'd be file one, two, three, four, five, and six on Kenyatta. Now, normally you'd expect them to be grouped together in the records that we get transferred. Because of the speed of transfer, because of trying to get these to the public as quickly as possible, this sort of arrangement, rearrangement, hasn't happened. And it appears the migrated archives have been in a very mixed state anyway. So as a result, what's come through is quite mixed up. So rather than those files 1, 2, 3, 4, 5, and 6 on Gemma Kenyatta all being in one place, they are all over the place. Potentially. One, I don't know, at piece 5503, another one at piece 5572, the next one at piece 5532. Very mixed up indeed. Now, some of the groups of records are more organised than others. Cyprus appears to be in a broadly logical order. Kenya is pretty mixed. But when you move down to Malaya, Sarawak, North Borneo, they are incredibly mixed up indeed. Now, we have produced a special sets of guides for these records, and that's one of the main reasons why we've had to do this. Because they're so mixed up, it would be incredibly difficult for historians to wade through 500, 700 plus files. So we've organised them into a logical framework, trying to use the old registry system as well, so you get an idea of what material was in the governor's office, what material was in the colonial secretary or the chief secretary's office, what material, say, in the malaria um, example, was in uh, the Ministry of External Defence. So we've tried to arrange thing in, uh, material in that way, and then within that, in subject matter. Trying to use the registry system, but where that isn't helping us, um, putting things together in, in, a, in a way that we hope is logical. Now, moving down to the bottom there, of the last of the four prioritised colonies, we have Sarawak, North Borneo, and part of Brunei all together, and that's about eight metres worth. There's a lot of material there, almost all from a very concentrated period of around about four years, five, six years. Now, the next set of colony material that's coming through in this tranche are the alphabetical ones I mentioned earlier. Um, Aden, I've talked about, there's only about 50 centimetres worth, a couple of boxes. Anguilla, I've talked about, there's quite a bit, so about two metres. 
Bahamas, a very, very small amount indeed. About half the material is relating to a, uh, an inquiry into gambling casinos just prior to independence in 73. Basuto land, um, which is modern Lesotho, quite a bit, about 2.5 metres, and I think there's probably more to come from Basuto land. Bekuana land, there's again about 2.5 metres, quite a bit in there. With both of those, I won't talk about these in detail again in the rest of this talk, in both of those, there's an awful lot that relates to um, tribal affairs, tribal matters, African matters, particularly the British involvement in that and I suppose manipulation of that. But one thing to be aware of is that we already have the archives here of the British High Commissioner for South Africa. Now Basuto land and Bekuan land for much of their time as British protectorates were High Commission territories. So the material would have been dealt with by the administrators in Basutoland and Bekuanland would have been passed up to the High Commission. We have those archives of the High Commission already. So I would imagine, but we don't know for certain, that there's quite a bit of duplication amongst the, uh, the High Commission territories archive we already have and the Basutoland and Bekuanland material that we've just received. British Indian Ocean Territory and Seychelles material is around about four and a half metres. Now they're mixed up together, Bayat and Seychelles, and the reason for that was that until 1976, on Seychelles independence, British Indian Ocean Territory was administered from Seychelles. In fact, you get the administrators double hatting. The governor of the Seychelles was also the governor of British Indian Ocean Territory. The deputy governor was also the administrator, the deputy governor rather of Seychelles, was also administrator of Bayard. So you have a lot of double hatting and I, I wouldn't be surprised if the records in their original setup were actually pretty much in the same room or set of rooms. So they've come over to us together. And then at the bottom we've got a very small amount of another tranche of Brunei, a separate set of Brunei, primarily from a different period to the Brunei material that's mixed up with Sarawak and North Borneo. Right, now I'll just move on here to the guides that have been produced. Now, the, the guides have all been put together in one big PDF. It's available online on our Migrated Archives webpage, which should be quite easy to find on our website. And certainly, when it's close to a period in which these records are being opened, then there'll be a press statement, which will then link to this, and it's certainly up there at the moment. The guides are big. And for the large colonies, we're talking 10, 12 pages. What we've done with them is we've done a number of things. We've gone, for some of the records, we've gone over and above the descriptions in the catalogue. We have reorganised the records in these guides to place them in their context. I talk about the registry system, trying to reorganise them. That's what we've done there. We've looked at as many as possible. We've summarised them, as I said. And where we can, we have indicated in italics the related records. And when I talk about the related records, material that we've already got at the National Archives, this is an indication that there might well be duplicates in such material. We haven't had time to check entirely for these external duplicates. But what we have done to help researchers is say, well, there are related records, it seems, in these particular pieces, in these particular series. Probably worth looking at these to see how much of this material that's come through is duplicated or not. So, with the Kenya material, we have looked at every single document. We have placed them in their context, we've looked at every single document, we've summarised all of them, and we've had related references for all of them. This is because Kenya, I suppose, is probably the most high profile of the records coming through. With most of the other colonies that have come through in this tranche, we've placed all the records in their context, we've rearranged them to make them more usable. But we've only been able to view some of them. We haven't had the time, basically, to view all of them. Primarily, we have prioritised for viewing those records that relate to constitutional development, that relate to defence and security and intelligence. Those areas that we would imagine are probably most of interest to researchers. So I apologise in advance to those who are maybe historians of colonial development or colonial education. I'm afraid with most of these colonies, we haven't had time to look through these records in detail. 
and we've added re related records references as well for those areas that we've looked at. Now unfortunately for North Borneo and Sarawak we haven't had the time to look at very many records at all. So we've placed those records in their context but we've only v viewed a very few indeed. So the guides for North Borneo and Sarawak will give you a better arrangement, will, will tell you what records should be or were possibly next door to each other to help you plan your research but we haven't actually looked at the records themselves. I'm going to move on to the guides themselves, just click through and here we are. I've moved on to the Migrated Archives webpage, which I mentioned earlier. And you'll see there's quite a lot of information on there. There's information about the arrangement of records. There's details about what's been released in the first release. When we get further releases, more information will be added on. So by the end, in November 2013, this will be a very large, very full page with a lot of information on it. When you scroll further down, you will see a set of lists, file lists of territories released in the first batch. These are actually Word documents that just list in piece number order, in file number order, our file number order, the records. They aren't the guides to the records, they just give you a basic overview and they're listed essentially by, uh, by colony. Going a little bit further down you get the guides I've been talking about under searching the records and it's about half a megabyte, shouldn't be too tricky to download. If you go further down, you'll see more information that could be of use to give you some more context on this. It, there's a click-through to the timetable for releasing. That's on the Foreign and Commonwealth Office website, so have a look at that to see which colonies are being opened at which times. Further down, you get some frequently um, asked questions. You get the Kerry Review, which was the review commissioned by the FCA to look into the reason why the migrated archives weren't released earlier. Uh, that review is well worth looking at to get some context. It'll also tell you an awful lot about how the Foreign Commonwealth Office and the National Archives managed the process of transfer, and also to some extent what, what perhaps went wrong. And then you've got various ministerial statements as well from the Foreign Secretary and from other ministers about the release of these records. So there's an awful lot on here that'll be of use. Now moving back to the Guide to Records, I'll click onto that. And it's arranged alphabetically, so on the very first page you get Aden. And as you can see here, very little for Aden indeed. You have half of it are personal files for um, some middling staff, but primarily secretaries, stenographers, clerks, messengers, telephone operators, garage boys, drivers. It's quite low-level stuff. And then the rest of it, again, is quite low-level as well. Here we are. The Chicken Centre at Four reports from the Egg Production Unit, Geological Survey of the Protectorate, Makala Harbour Survey, a material obviously of interest to historians of those aspects of colonial history, but probably what, not what you would expect um, if you were after the, the high-level policy or the controversial defence intelligence material that there might well have been in the past in Aden. What I'll do is I'll move through to the guide for Kenya to give you a sort of a, a detailed example of the sort of the material that's come through. Right, here we are, Kenya. Now on the first page you've got um, the listing of the piece numbers. Now all of the records being released in Migrated Archives are all in one National Archives series called FCO141. It appears that we'll probably end up being around about 13, 14, maybe as much as 15,000 files worth. So as I said before, 200 meters, it, it, it's an awful lot of material. The introduction gives a little bit of context on the colony, a bit of a basic history of the colony, and this particular guide for Kenya, because it's so complex and large, we've actually got sections split down for governance records, minutes and memoranda, then you've got the records of the Governor's Office, Chief Secretary's Office, Secretariat, Ministry of African Affairs, Ministry of Defence and other records. Now, when I talk about Ministry of Defence, Ministry of African Affairs and so on, these are Kenyan government departments. So this is the Kenyan Ministry of Defence, not the British Ministry of Defence. 
This is the Kenyan Ministry of African Affairs, the Kenyan Chief Secretary's Office, the Kenyan Governor's Office. Remember, these are the records of colonial administration on the ground in Kenya and the governance and the government of that colony, not what's going on in the UK. Now, moving through, you can see quite a bit of material that's been released. Some of it appears to duplicate what we've already got, particularly conferences of governors from the British East African territories. That appears to be a duplicate. But we have got uh, records of the Executive and Legislative Council of the Colony of Kenya. Much of this is new and, and fills a gap that we knew existed amongst these records. Moving through to the governor's office, you see some of the old records. Much of the material for most of these records across the piece, so probably for the last... 10, 15 years worth of colonial rule. However, there are little bits and pieces that do relate to a period before that. So, for example, Governor's Office, we have a few files here dating back to 1907 relating to local currency, railway construction, oaths taken by governors, so on and so forth. But I'll move through to a few examples that I think would give you a, an idea of the sort of material. I'll just run through some of the headings, which will, will give you a little bit of an idea of what there is. So moving on from within the Governor's Office, from the older records, you've got... Sorry, going beyond the older records, we have records relating to international organisations and conferences. A lot of records relating to Somalia, the northern frontier district, which appears to have been quite a major issue for the colonial government, particularly in the build-up to independence. And there's a lot of material there. At present, in the existing holdings of National Archives, we don't have much on that. So this is one particular area where uh, some, quite a bit of additional material seems to have come through to us. We have records on political organisations, on records on Kenyan independence, the formation of the Kanu government, and the, the first so pre-independence government under Jomo Kenyatta as Prime Minister. We have records relating to Arab affairs, land settlement and resettlement, education, finance and economics, miscellaneous, so on and so forth. So there's quite a lot of material here, not all of which you'd immediately think would fall into those four bullet points I talked about at the start in terms of embarrassment to Her Majesty's government or to officials or compromising intelligence sources. Moving on to the Chief Secretary's office, you have material on overseas affairs, you have material on international organisations, but I'll move on to, I'm um, just skimming through, move on to a set of material actually under the Ministry of African Affairs. You've got records here relating to collective punishment under emergency regulations. And this is a nice example to give you an idea of what might be new and what might not be new. Now these are around about 30, 40-odd Treasury-tagged files. They're case files. They're quite thin. So all the files together really only are about 10, 11, 12 centimetres thick. And these relate to forfeiture orders. Now this uh, deals with the nuts and bolts of how the British dealt with the Mau Mau uprising. Essentially, anyone who helped Mau Mau or possibly helped even those of the ethnic group who um, were part of the Mau Mau, the Kikuyu ethnic group, those uh, locals who were regarded as helping them out, maybe giving them food, maybe give, giving them shelter, they would have their property confiscated. Now, in the case of many of these people, this essentially relates to their, their cattle. Their property would be their cattle, it would also be their livelihood. And you have lists here by name and by the amount of cattle, and in some cases land or crops being taken away from them, and where this has occurred. You've got a lot of detailed information about how the British essentially took away the livelihoods of these people. However, almost all of that material I've just mentioned is in the public domain and has been for over 50, 60 years. This material listing the names, the amount of cattle and the places have been hidden away, and I think some historians have been aware of this anyway, within the supplements to the colonial gazettes for Kenya. If you work your way through these supplements and spend a bit of time grinding through them, you will find this. So that aspect of these files are already in the public domain and have been for a long time. The second aspect of them, which gives a little bit more detail, actually is new. 
So within these files, over and above what was in the Gazette, you also get the reasons why the cattle were confiscated. Sometimes the reasons are only 10, 20, 30 words, and they're written by the district officers in the area. And it's quite basic, and it's not really telling, telling you anything more. But in other instances, the reasons why could be at least a page, two pages worth. So it can give you quite a rich idea of what went on and why it went on. So that's an example there where you've got material that's a mixture of new and already known about, or to some extent already known about. I'll move over to an, another detailed example, the Gemma Kenyatta uh, files which come under the Kenyan Ministry of Defence. Now there's six files here, about 10 centimetres thick in total, so they're quite chunky files. These include quite a bit of material on Gemma Kenyatta's imprisonment. After his trial and in, then imprisonment, he was uh, released but under restriction orders, a sort of a form of quite heavy bail, essentially. He had to be restricted to a certain area doing certain things. Jomo Kenyatta would later become um, the first prime minister and president of, uh, of Kenya. But during this time, the mid-1950s, he was regarded by the British colonial authorities as the leading Kikuyu figure, and then by extension regarded by the authorities, therefore, as the leading mouthpiece of the Mau Mau. In actual fact, he's a much more moderate figure than that. But in any case, he was put on trial and imprisoned and then released under restriction orders. These records relate to the period of imprisonment and under restriction orders, of which we've only got a couple of files. So this adds quite a bit, presumably, to what we've already got in terms of documentary evidence. Kenyatta himself uh, wrote about um, his period in, in imprisonment and under restriction orders. So I suppose this material gives the colonial authorities' side of what Kenyatta has already talked about or, or has already been published by uh, Kenyatta. So we have material on intercepted correspondence, restriction orders themselves, press cuttings, Communications within the prison. Um, operation Legby was the name of the operation relating to the release of Kenyatta from prison, but then subject to restriction orders. A possible relaxation of the restriction orders. And the confession of Kenyatta's son at a screening centre. Now, the screening centre, that's a euphemism essentially for an interrogation centre. We've got claims by Kenyatta for property and personal effects taken following imprisonment. So it appears that um, Kenyatta's personal property following imprisonment seemed to be taken over by local district officers in the area. And Kenyatta tried to get this material back, and this would include books and other possessions. And also quite a bit on the health of Kenyatta during his time in prison under restriction orders. So again, this probably will add some material to our totality of the understanding of Kenyatta as a man and of the British authorities' treatment of him will probably add to gaps. So that, again, another example giving you a little bit of an understanding as to what might be new and what might not be. So I think by, by looking at Kenya here as an example, I've, I've given you an idea of, certainly within this tranche, what is new, what isn't, what researchers are likely to find. Now, moving through quickly, I'll, I'll take another example just briefly of Malaya. Now, the records have been released to Malaya. There's a lot of them. There's about 700 or so, and this is the totality. These are not, this is not a tranche. This is everything that's going to come through on Malaya. Um, and as I mentioned before, nearly half of this are these sets of duplicates of intelligence reports on Chinese affairs. Very interesting in themselves, but as I said, duplicating. Now, if you move through the material that's been kept here for Malaya, you have records from the High Commissioner's Office, conferences, constitutional development, politics, quite a bit of material on political intelligence, about the pre-independence period. There isn't that much actually on the emergency. Most of the material that's come through to us has largely come from post-1954. Now, from 1952 to 1954, General Templer was in place as both governor and commander-in-chief of British forces. Very, very unusual indeed to combine the civil and military together. And essentially, under Templer, the emergency, you wouldn't say was dealt with in its totality, but was moved from being a major crisis down to one that the British felt they could control. 
most of the records date from the post-Templar period that have come through. And that's something to be aware of here. And when you look at the records that specifically deal with the emergency, there aren't that many. Within the governor's office, we're only talking about four or five. But they are interesting in themselves. Monthly subversive activity reports, papers of the Emergency Operations Council, only admittedly for about a year or so, and from a small period. Most of these seem to date from 56, 57, relating to the emergency. Quite a bit, and you move on, uh, relating to external affairs, Chinese affairs, education, Honours and awards, there's a lot of files under Malaya relating to honours and awards, particularly the Colonial Police Medal and the Queen's Police Medal. A lot of files here, uh, giving individual names of who's been awarded the medal and what they did to get it, and also some of the policy behind it and the administration of it. Moving on to the Chief Secretary. Now, in most colonies, Chief Secretary, and before the Second World War, is normally known as the Colonial Secretary, was the Chief Administrator underneath the Governor. Probably equivalent in the British Government, perhaps to a cabinet secretary, although possibly more powerful. Underneath him would then sit the heads of the different departments of the colonial administration. Prior to the Second World War, much colonial administration would have been very small indeed, a very small number of officials. After the Second World War, the administration builds up and grows. In the Kenyan example, you move from a system underneath a chief secretary to one where you almost have ministers sitting on the governor's executive council. And then they are, from 1955, actually termed ministers. And then you move to a, a, a standards and ministerial system. Something similar is happening in Malaya. We have the expansion of the colonial administration moving towards independence but a lot of material on the Chief Secretary. You have the uh, regular reports of the residents and advisors, the individual sultans in the states, and the governance of malaria is very complex, and I won't go into that now. But you have reports from these res residents to the High Commissioner, in the Malayan example. You also have the reports of what are called the Mentri Bezars, the state secretaries, those who are essentially the uh, chief advisors to the individual sultans. So the residents and advisors would have been British colonial officers, the Mentri Bezars would have been Malayans working to the Sultans, and they're both sending reports into the High Commissioner. And we have these for the last couple of years before independence. The sort of material that probably would not have gone back to London except in unusual circumstances. So this is adding to what we know, over and above what you would get if you'd visited the Malaysian National Archives, one suspects, but don't know for sure, and over and above what you'd get in our holdings here. And again, the emergency, there's only about four files relating to the emergency in the Chief Secretary's office, Quite a bit on defence and external affairs, and we have records of the Ministry of External Defence and the Ministry of Manpower as well. Again, quite routine material here, Secretary of Chinese Affairs, some interesting material. But as I said, within the Secretary of Chinese Affairs stuff, we have those duplicates. We have a, a sets of card index on prominent Chinese individuals in the colony, and th th there could be some interesting material in there. But that gives you probably a, a bit, bit of an overview of the sort of material that's there for Malaya. One last thing worth mentioning is that quite a bit of the early materials, such as it exists within the Malaya stuff, and bear in mind about 80% that's come through is post-54, much of the early material actually relates to the records and archives of the individual residents and advisors. There's a lot there from Selangor, a uh, uh, small amount from Perlis, a small amount from Negri Sembalan, from Bahang, Johor. But uh, Selangor stuff does date back quite far, and I think that's one of the oldest ones there, 1884, the appointment of Raja Mudra Selangor. So there's quite a bit of early material, and it's one of the few areas where you actually get material that dates from the pre-Japanese occupation period, where the British appear to be trying to reconstruct the paperwork of their administration after Japanese military occupation. Okay, so I've, I've gone through two examples there to give you an idea of the sort of material that there is, and I think that probably concludes my talk. So that hopefully has given you an overview of what these records are, 
why they've come here, how they fit into the wider context of records that already exist here, and also a little bit about, I suppose, the detail of the material. And I, I've just picked Kenya and Malaya there because, firstly, they're, they're probably of interest to many researchers, and, and secondly, there's quite a bit that's come through in this tranche. So we will be waiting for later tranches to build up the material on Kenya and Cyprus and for other colonies as we, we move on over the next 18, uh, 20 months. Thank you very much. This podcast was recorded on the 18th of April 2012 at the National Archives, Kew.